If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I am not done, I'm sorry. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And this is the word of the Lord. As we're preaching through the book of John, today's kind of one of those where you're like, oh wow, this isn't a pick-me-up type, type week. Um, when I... I kind of grew up thinking that there might be a God, but it wasn't until 1997 when I was on the rugby team at the University of Northern Iowa that God really just made it super clear to me that he was real, that the things in the Bible were written, that were totally true, uh, reflect the heart of God, reflect the heart of God towards me, and gave my life to Jesus in 1997. And then in 2001, uh, I had graduated from college. I'd worked for John Deere Financial as a computer programmer for a while, but then I uh, really felt a desire to go to seminary, which is basically just graduate school in things of the Bible and theology and all that stuff. And so uh, August of 2001, I find myself in chapel at the seminary in Dallas, Texas that I went to. And uh, it, I mean, I remember it 21 years later, I remember, I remember this chapel very distinctly because it was a, a, men, uh, a guy that I'd been listening to uh, through a distance that was in the chapel service. And I remember him like starting the chapel saying, you probably think this is going to be the most heavenly experience, that here you have now come to a place that is totally devoted to Jesus. And it's devoted toward, like you're going to spend the whole day reading the Bible, like you're going to learn Greek and Hebrew and all theology and all sorts of stuff. And um, like, it's going to be like, 
there's no better place in the world for you to be than in this place. And I was like being like, I'm tracking with you. Like, I mean, this is, I can't believe I get to like spend eight hours a day and the evening studying and like, and, I'm, and I ended up being there for seven years because I was a little slow learner and I worked full time and stuff. Uh, but uh, the seven years, you know, kind of the idea like, wow, this is going to be amazing. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend your, all your time like on stuff like this? And I remember in that chapel service, he said, don't be surprised if these are the worst years of your life. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm really listening now. And, um, and it's not connected to just like being a pastor is at a different place than any of us that follow Jesus. But he said, you know, you've just made it crystal clear to Satan that you are about Jesus. And he said, you've just put this target on yourself. And don't be surprised if life is really hard when you're here. And he shared all these examples about him and his wife, Cynthia, and the things that they went through, um, and, and all these different things. And I just remember, like, it really struck, it was sobering to me, and, and has continued to be sobering to me, because I think, as many people think, if the most powerful, good king of the world, Jesus, if now I am his, surely my life will be perfect and all-powerful and amazing. And it will basically be like I'm living a heavenly life here. And where we're at in the book of John, this is what Jesus wants to talk about. Is Let's talk about expectations when he's gone. And let's talk about what we should think, what we should do, how we should feel if life actually gets really hard. Maybe even giving our life to Jesus, life seems to get harder than if I would have just kind of just gone with the flow and never actually given Jesus my life, put my trust in him. And where we're at in the book of John is, remember, the Last Supper has just happened. Jesus is on the way to the cross. He will be that evening in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're potentially just walking across the city of Jerusalem in the old city to uh, just outside there on the east to where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And Jesus is, is training the disciples. And he is really interested in how the disciples and how us as his disciples are going to act when he's gone, and especially when it's hard. And for the disciples to hear this, because to realize that everyone that Jesus is talking to is going to be killed for giving their life to Jesus for leading other people to Jesus. Every single one of them is going to be killed for following Jesus and leading others to follow Jesus, except for the guy who's writing this down. John is the only one who is not killed, the only disciple who is not killed. Um, but it doesn't mean that John was just like, you know, on a beach writing the book of John, just loving life. You know, John himself had, had a really hard go of it and was persecuted greatly. And so... This is what Jesus wants to talk about. It's fascinating what Jesus brings up as he is heading to the cross. And he brings up that he wants to talk about 
what it's going to be like for us when he's gone and how we should live. So we're at verse 18 of John 15. And Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So keep in mind that Judas has already left the Last Supper. The disciples don't know what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. The disciples can't even, they, we can tell the disciples can't even imagine what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. They, they can't imagine that their powerful Savior, the one who can do whatever he wants, what he wants is going to be to allow himself to be brutally killed. The disciples are not thinking that this is even a possibility, but Jesus knows exactly what's coming. You know, as we know the story, we can look back and be like, oh, he, he knew exactly what was happening and was sharing it with everybody. Um, but Jesus knows what's happening, and he is volunteering for this so that we can have our sins paid for. He's volunteering for this so that we can have our sins paid for, so that we can have a close relationship with him, so that we can be with him forever. Jesus wants to talk about what life's going to be like when he's gone. He wants us, he wants them to know that the victorious life with Jesus might be a hard life, might look like a hard life. He, and then he says, he says, if the world hates you, uh, then if the world feels like it's against you, if people hate you without cause, if the deck seems just stacked against you, know that it hated Jesus before it hated us. And not to misunderstand that if you're really mean to somebody and they're mean back at you and you're a Christian, you aren't being persecuted. <laughs> you're just being mean and you're kind of getting what you do. If you have given your life to Jesus and you're a really bad employee and you get fired, you aren't being persecuted. <laughs> you're getting what you deserve, like you're, you're justly being fired. That isn't persecution either. But when you love Jesus and you walk with him and you follow his ways to live, when you follow his ways to think, Jesus, what should I think about this? Jesus, how should I think about this? When we pursue holiness, be holy because I'm holy, he tells us. When, we're, when we pursue with our money, with our bodies, to pursue holiness, to do what he would want us to do, for Jesus to be at the center of our life, all of these things are really good. It's actually great for those to be our desires. And as a reward for living that way, Jesus says, know that people hated Jesus for living Christ-like, because <laughs> he was Christ. To, People hated Jesus for being Jesus. They will hate us for following him. And not to be surprised when that happens. Look at verse 19 again. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I think this verse 19, this thing has messed me up all week. 
just chewing on this, processing this, and I'm like, man, that's a life-changing verse right there. Because when I think of my life, I think, okay, on August 5th, 1978, I was born in, in the Marshalltown Hospital. As an early baby, my checkups were in State Center at Dr. Sokol's office. I think it was Sokol, right? Dr. Sokol's office. Some of you might have known Dr. Sokol as well. And um, I've, like, I've lived my entire life here on earth. <laughs> I consider myself an, an earthling. Um, I go to the bathroom like everybody else does. I pay taxes like everybody else does. Um, but here, Jesus says to all people who have given their life to him, who trust him as their savior, Jesus says, if you were of the world, and then later he says, because you are not of the world. And it's like, what do you think about me? How do you think of me? Because I have a state of Iowa license. I have a I have a passport that says I'm a U.S. citizen, but you're talking like I'm like an alien. You're talking like I'm not even like a citizen of this world. How? Like, how could you think of me this way? And when you look at verse 19, the difference where he says is, I chose you out of this world. I chose you out of this world. You didn't like find some secret door into another world that you kind of move in and out of. Like I actually chose you out of this world. And the very fact that he chose me out of this world, I'm no longer of this world and the world will hate me. It will hate us. Now I spent a little bit more time kind of on these first two verses than we will the rest of the verses, but it's a foundation that Jesus is leaning in and telling us about as he's heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. Is like, hey, I chose you out of this world. I don't even look at you as even being a part of this world even more, anymore. I then look where Jesus then takes us in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had known, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hate me without a cause. And I think this like, takes us to like a first major point, and it, there's a lot in those, those first verses. But a major point, I think, that is just like we, we can't miss this, is the persecution of the chosen is known by God. So when, when things happen, when, when it does feel like the world's against me, when it feels like the world's against the way that Jesus is wanting me to live or wanting me to think, that it's not meaningless. It's not a, a surprise. Um, it's, it's not something to run away from. And to say, you know, God knows this. God will uphold this. God, there will be justice. God is a God of justice. And it's without cause that people feel that way because 
the entire design of God is for everybody's good. So God's like, they, they have no excuse here because the design that they're resisting and that many of us have resisted for many years is for our good. He has sent his best, his very son, the eternal son of God for our rescue. So when, when Jesus is rejected, what is being rejected is God the Father's love for us. So you have no excuse of, of, and if you do have an excuse, it's not a valid excuse. And look how he says here, it's not God's law. It's like, well, I'm just against that God law thing. I just don't like God's laws. Look in verse 25, but the word that's written in their law must be fulfilled. So the giver of the law doesn't think of it as his law. He thinks of it as, as their law that they are rejecting. So anyone who's rejecting the things of God, he's like, you're rejecting your own law. Because in other places, Galatians and stuff, we see that the law was given to be a guardian. Just as like a, a little kid might inherit all sorts of stuff. And it's like, well, until they get a little older, let's have this be a guardian. You know, we'll, have, we'll have someone be in a place to, to kind of make decisions until they can get to where they can maybe make their own decisions. And so the law is seen that way. The law was a guardian directing us, protecting us until Christ came, Galatians tells us. And then with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can now live as he fulfilled the law for us. So their cause in hating Jesus and his way is not valid. It's a deceived cause. They're hating Jesus, Jesus' way, and those who follow Jesus without cause. Because I think sometimes what can happen is like, it can get into our head. Like, man, maybe these people are right. Maybe I've had dear friends of mine who are wanting to follow Jesus' way, and there are a lot of people around them that are like, hey, stop the struggle. I mean, come on, take it easy on yourself. Like, just give in. Just come on, live your best life now. Like, just, you know, fulfill yourself or whatever it may be. And it's like, man, I don't think that's true. And it, there can be like this, this I want to listen to them, but I also don't want to listen to them. And he's saying like, hey, don't listen to them. They have nothing to stand on. And then Jesus takes us to verse 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. When life feels hard, it's like, man, I don't, am I heading the right direction? Am I doing the right thing? When the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And this is multiple times in the, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, multiple times Jesus is bringing up, the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to be sent. He's going to be your counselor. He's going to be another helper. Last week, Jesus brought it up. And then, so just close to the same passage, he brings it up again, that I'm going to send the Spirit of truth. Because when it feels like the world is hating us, um, truth is given by the Spirit. One word of truth. Sometimes you're in the middle of a storm or if you're in the middle of a blizzard and you're like, if I just knew which way was north, it could like help me reorient to like going the right direction. And the Spirit gives that one word of truth that can redirect us and let us see everything else more clearly. 
The Spirit will come. He proceeds from the Father. He's sent by the Son. He will bear witness about Jesus. And as he does that, the disciples will do that too. And we will do that too. And this is a second major point of of what God is leading us into, is that the Holy Spirit allows us to be witnesses during tough times. The Holy Spirit allows us to be witnesses during tough times. Every person that Jesus is talking to, every single person will experience the hatred of the world within hours. Jesus will be arrested. Satan will give his, his all. All the hatred of the world will be directed at Jesus. And the disciples in the middle of all this run and hide. Truly, all the, I mean, Jesus is telling the disciples this stuff and they're all going to run and hide. We, we will, I mean, there are plenty of opportunities for us to run and hide. Life will have some really, really hard times. Following Jesus will lead to some really hard times. And we're, we're, we are reminded more than ever, I think even in these hard times, it's like, man, this isn't my home. Like, I love rural central Iowa. I, I love so much about rural central Iowa. And this is not my home. And this is not our home. This is not, we're not trying to build heaven here. And the disciples, I know, loved Israel. They loved Jerusalem. They loved the city. And when it came to following Jesus, it made them run and hide for all that was coming back against them. And what I love is the disciples didn't stay hidden. They didn't stay isolated. That the Holy Spirit actually came on them, came upon them. We see this in the book of Acts and gave them courage, gave them clarity, gave them a unifying ability to be together in the storm and to witness about Jesus and to be alive in Jesus in the middle of the storm. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He allows us to be witnesses. So it doesn't like, well, I have to become this evangelist that like is well-trained, that's reaching other people. No, you witness. Like if you witness a car accident, you just like, well, this is what I experienced. This happened, this happened, and this happened. You know, that's my neutral observation of what, what is happening here. And a witness of Jesus is just like, here's what I've done, and here's what he's done for me. And here is why this is ridiculous, that he would love me like this. And here's the times that I ran and hide and the times that he brought me back. And, and I'm just letting you know what he's done for me because I think he'd do it for you too. And for the Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to do that in the middle of the storm is what Jesus is talking about. And, um, you know, I've walking with Jesus for 25 years now. I felt a lot of the struggle of walking with Jesus. A lot of it's just because I like to sin, and I am a flesh person. And I feel a war between my flesh and the Spirit seeking to make me look like Jesus. And I kind of want to be the old me, but I really don't. I want to be like Jesus. And I feel that battle in, in my, inside of me. And then I feel the battle with each of us being like that. And each of us trying to come around together and direct each other to Jesus and, and, and with hard things happening in life. And then in addition to that, we are living in a cultural moment where in our lives, I think more than ever, following the way of Jesus is becoming very unattractive. It's becoming very politically incorrect. 
um, in areas of sexuality, identity, value. Our society might want to hear from Jesus in kind of a, uh, yeah, let's hear from Jesus, but like maybe give him 1% of influence in us just to say that we've heard from him or something. But more than ever, I think, our culture is approaching that we don't want to hear the way Jesus would want us to think. We don't want to hear the way Jesus would want us to live. So the victorious Christian life is not going to be an easy life this side of glory. But then Jesus gives us the why. Jesus, why are you telling us all? Of all the things in the last hours that you're alive, why are you telling us this? Verse 1 of chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. I've said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So the, the why, the reason that we're told these things is so we won't fall away. The, the disciples might remember like, man, it's tempting just to be, for, stay like Peter. Be like, I don't know the man. I'm a fisherman. That's what I do. I'm a fisherman. I'm identified as a fisherman. I don't know the man. And to be like, no, man, I told you all this stuff about how I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, about how... Uh, this is not meaningless and how I'm a God of justice. I'm going to be with you and I've chosen you out of the world. Like I want you to keep all of that stuff inside of you so you don't fall away because you don't want to. And he knows where he's leading us. He knows what he's doing in us. He knows what he's doing through us. And everything was against Jesus being Jesus. So there will certainly be resistance in living Christ-like lives. We've been told these things to keep us from falling away because he doesn't want us to follow away. He doesn't want us to fall away and we don't want to fall away. And he's letting us know all of this stuff, that the pain is not meaningless. It doesn't go by without, without God's hand. Even when you saw Jesus approach Peter or uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting people who followed Jesus. Jesus took it personally. He said, why are you persecuting me? And so to know, like, that's how intimately, as we abide in Christ, as we learned last week, how much he's taking into this. And it might not seem like a big deal to be put out of the synagogue, because none of us have, many of us have probably never even been in a synagogue, uh, let alone uh, be put out of it or whatever. You might be like, hey, who cares? But for the people hearing this, their life was centered around the synagogue. That was all of their relationships. That was, that was the, the, the rhythm of their week would be centered around things connected to the synagogue. It was their church. So for Jesus to say, hey, you're going to be put out of the synagogue meant that the people that you are doing life with are going to basically consider you dead. You're going to be dead to them. They don't even want you to be a part of their life anymore. All of the rhythms of life that were centered around God, 
because God so loved the world, he sent his son, that they're going to kick you out thinking that they're doing God a service. And that's going to be really hard because that's your whole community. Your, your community is going to be gone because of, what, um, because of what it means to follow Jesus. Being forbidden to be a part of that. And the people who are doing this are deceived. They shouldn't be doing this. But when it happens, the disciples will remember that Jesus, Jesus called it. Jesus called it. He knew it was going to happen, and they shouldn't fall away. And Jesus wasn't always talking to them this way, he says. I wasn't always talking to them this way. Because one of the things that Jesus was doing is he was taking all the flack. When people hated Jesus, they would just walk up to Jesus and let him know. You know, like you see that with the Pharisees and stuff. Jesus was taking all of the flack. And Jesus is now saying, hey, I'm saying these things to you because you're going to start taking the flack. When people hate me, you're going to start taking the flack. I'm not taking the flack, but I will be with you. And man, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? Um, I love thinking of it this way. Fall into Jesus instead of falling away. Fall into Jesus instead of falling away. Um, I was thinking of our, of our students that are going up to Story City for the winter retreat. And Chrissy told me we've got about 50 people going. So we've got like 40-ish students and about 10 leaders, which is incredible. I mean, that's middle school, high schoolers who are going to spend a whole weekend diving into Jesus together from our community. I mean, from Collins Maxwell, West Marshall, Colonesco, Baxter, um, is phenomenal. And we were up there a couple years ago with a summer camp and a summer retreat. And one of the things that we did in the summer camp was we did a trust fall. And man, like I would, I love to hunt. I go up in tree stands and all that stuff, you know, pretty high up. I like to get up high in a tree stand and I am tethered to a, a thing, you know, when I'm up in the tree stand. But having, standing on a platform that's high enough that you're going to really hurt yourself if you aren't caught and to know that it's middle school boys who are behind you to catch you, um, nothing against middle school boys at the time, uh, but uh, middle school and, and maybe a couple high school boys, and to be there and to know that you just gotta, you just gotta go is terrifying. Like I'm like I'm a grown man and I am terrified right now in this moment. I mean, it was really hard. It was like. I think I'll just go back down and let these guys make fun of me for the rest of my life, you know? Uh, and just, because it was easy just to go that way, you know? But standing there and man, just to go back and to know like, it's actually gonna be worse if I try to catch myself because then like you start not laying, you know, it's harder for people, you know, if you're trying to, we had a person that tried to kind of fall and land on their feet. And you, that hurts you, right? You got to just fall and let yourself be caught. Uh, and uh, man, uh, I'm not like the hero of the story because I did fall and I was freaking out the whole time. And when I was caught, I like, I was so grateful that a bunch of middle schoolers like actually didn't let go of each other as, as, I, fought, as I fell, you know. Um, but I think this is like in the middle of the storm, we want to run for cover, in the middle of the storm um, of what it looks like to follow Jesus, like, like we, we want to catch ourselves or we, we want to try and you know, do all these things. And, and he's basically saying, like, I've got you. I've got you. 
And even if it leads to death, I've got you. Even if it leads to like being hard for a long time, like I've got you. Like you can just free fall into me. I'm going to catch you. It's going to be scary, but the Holy Spirit's going to be with you to be with you. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you to hold you. I've got you. And man, we could like maybe try and think of like, well, Jesus, if I followed you, it should have just been rosy the whole time. And we could come up with reasons why we think like that would be better and all that stuff. So if we ask like, why is it so hard when we're following one that's leading us to heaven? Um, I think like there's a lot of answers we could give, but I think the best answer is like, well, this is the way he designed for us. And it's not surprising him because he's predicting it. And so it's what's best. It's what's best for us. And he has overcome. He says, in this world you have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome. He has overcome. He is overcoming. He will overcome. And for, I think, our posture would be to join him in his sacred mission for us and the sacred mission he is doing through us for our community. And, um, you know, in one sense, it's not like a, a rosy message. It's one of the reasons we preach through the Bible, because it's like, if you want to just always preach rosy messages, we just skip this section. But we're not skipping this section because he didn't, and he puts great priority on the disciples knowing this and on us knowing this. Uh, then even Paul from prison can say, this is joy. I'm getting a meaning in my life following Jesus my sins are forgiven, but not only that, like, I'm having irrational joy, even if it's killing me. I'm having a rational joy because I'm his, and, and he wants us to live there, to be free-falling into him, knowing he's catching us, he's got us, he's holding us, he's leading us. And I would say if you're here and you're like, I don't know Jesus like, like that. I don't even know if he's real. I, I would encourage you to, to use this time to say, I'm not here accidentally. I'm here for a purpose. And lean into that and say, Jesus, is this real? Do you really want me to give my life to you? If you're here and you're like, man, I'm like a hair's breadth away from falling away. I think I'm just going to go back to my old way and kind of pretend none of this ever happened. Man, like use these moments to like, like, Give yourself to him in a fresh way. And I think if you're like, man, I'm, I'm so grateful that I've been able to be through some things I never thought I would get through before. And he's, he's showing himself to be, to be true. And, and I'm continuing to trust him. And, and I want to encourage those around me to trust him. Man, worship him for that. Thank him for that. Lord, we, we give this morning to you, and um, I feel like even preaching a message that we, I've just scratched the surface of everything that you mean in this passage, and everything that this passage should mean for our lives, I feel really inadequate, but I also, Lord, trust you that you are communicating that individually to each of us. You're, you're, letting, you're letting these words, these truths encourage us. You're really um, convincing each of us that it is good and right 
to follow you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You're the only destination that truly is life-giving. And you want us to stay there and abide in you. And Lord, the, what that means for each of us, Lord, would you, would you let us know? Let us step into that. Would you grow each of us today? Would you grow each of us in in the things that you're calling us into that would be crazy without you, but are possible in your strength, in your power. Thank you for these words, Jesus. We pray that our kids, too, would be absorbing your word and it would be transforming them, too, in kids' church. And, and Lord, uh, direct us for our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen.